Father, thank you for our time now to transition into hearing from you as we look into your word together. Lord, thank you for the privilege of singing together, of fellowshipping together, of encouraging one another in the truth. And thank you now for the privilege of of hearing from you through your word, Father, as your spirit uh, takes this truth and plants it deep within our hearts. And Lord, it brings us closer to you. It conforms us more into the image of Christ. And Father, I pray for those who are here who do not know Christ, that, that the gospel will penetrate their hearts and you might draw them to yourself and grant them repentance and faith in the gospel. Father, thank you for this new season of life, for these new freshmen who are with us. We're so thankful that they're now a part of our group. I pray that uh, you will be with them as they make these transitions in their lives to, to newer things, to to college, to work, to to various things that are going on. Lord, I pray that uh, you will bless them in their endeavors. I pray that they will walk faithfully with you. I pray that they will find encouragement and strength here in this place with with this group and with with these leaders. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace that you have showered upon us in Christ. I pray now that you will be with us as we look into your word together in Christ's name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. For those of you who are here for the first time, um, this is a second part of a message I began. Well, actually, it's not true. This is a, this is a second message in a two-part series that I began on Wednesday night. And I titled this, A Biblical Church is an Evangelistically Driven Church. And over the course of the last several years, we've once in a while looked at those things that make up a biblical church, Uh, like a biblical church is a converted church, a a biblical church is a worshiping church. Um, This morning we're going to look at a message called a biblical church is an evangelistically driven church, part two. Acts chapter eight, I'm going to read our text beginning in verse 25 and then we will come up to speed together. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Then the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Every church that is indeed a true church that makes up, is made up of of Christ's followers, and 
Any church that is worth its grain and salt is a church that is committed to sharing the gospel with unbelievers. We are to make disciples, beginning with our community, then the surrounding cities and states, and ultimately across the globe. That was our Lord's commission right before he ascended. He said, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. If we are going to function as a true biblical church that is not caught up and consumed with ourselves, then we must each make a commitment to be faithful in personal evangelism. But if we want to be faithful evangelists, we have to set selfishness on the back burner. Sharing the gospel with unbelievers is the antithesis of a self-absorbed, inward-focused church. This is why we must guard against this and is why we are spending these two messages looking at evangelism. When we think about evangelism, a text that should come to our minds is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, they tell us that we have been placed in the most distinguished position on the planet. That we speak on behalf of the king of the universe as his ambassadors. And this is our unparalleled mandate. This is who we are as God's people. Along with the distinguished position that we have, we have also been given a transcendent ministry, which is proclaiming to the lost world, be reconciled to God. And the content of that transcendent ministry is our superlative message, which which is the great exchange, right? It is that Christ became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is that message that is the reason for our evangelism. It is that message, Christ dying in your place, that has saved you and given you the job of communicating the message of reconciliation to the world. Because of that, on Wednesday night, we looked at an account of our Lord that modeled for us then a practical method to be guided by in our evangelistic opportunities and encounters. There were three lessons that we drew out on Wednesday that we need to be reminded of, and that was to be mindfully intentional, to be genuinely interested, and to be boldly intrusive. Those of you who were here remember that this was the story of Jesus with the woman at the well and how he was very intentionally engaged with her in conversation. And he didn't let her deter him from giving her the gospel message, giving her the living water that he offered her at the very beginning, but he continued to to bring her to the point where we find in verse 26 where he declares for the very first time in his ministry to a Samaritan woman nonetheless that he is the I am of the Old Testament, that he is the one who can provide this living water to this woman who was desperate, who was dead in her sins, And we encountered our Lord in that text, and we were reminded of those lessons. We were reminded of the fact that we are to go fishing, that we are to cast out our bait, which is the truth of the gospel message, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and then we must set the hook by calling out their sin and calling them to repentance and faith in the gospel. Well, this morning, then, we want to turn our attention to the concept of of preparation in the context of evangelism. So we looked at the the method on Wednesday night. I want to talk about today being prepared. The question that we are seeking to answer is, are you prepared to be used by the Lord? And to answer this question, we are going to look at the life of Philip, whom we just read about. In fact, in this amazing story involving Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, we are going to see three transparent characteristics in Philip's life which model for us how to be ready 
to be used by the Lord. Three transparent characteristics in Philip's life which model for us how to be ready to be used by the Lord. Now before we observe and evaluate these characteristics, it's appropriate for us to take a few minutes to identify who Philip is and what his part in the early church was. Philip, we were introduced to Philip there in Acts chapter 6, just a few chapters earlier, is he is uh, appointed as one of the seven deacons to serve the Hellenistic widows. And so he was appointed by the apostles and the elders as one of seven men to go and to serve these widows, to, to help them out. We also know from earlier in chapter 8 that Philip was a preacher. He was preaching in Samaria. He was gifted with the ability to to teach the word of God. We know from our text and from chapter 21, verse 8, that he was also an evangelist, that he was gifted and skilled in his ability to communicate the gospel with people. We also know from earlier in chapter 8 that, that Philip held firm to the true gospel and he, because he did not resort to selling it. Back in verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give us this authority as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with your money. Well, Philip was a part of that discussion as he was there in Samaria. And he did not sell the gospel for money. He was clear on the gospel. He was committed to, to the true gospel. It's this simple background that I think leads us into our passage. The gospel we see in, in verse 25 was spreading like wildfire in in Samaria. And that's interesting, isn't it? Wednesday night, Jesus witnessed to a Samaritan woman, and we know, we we didn't spend much time at the end of that text, but we know that she leaves that conversation with Jesus converted, and she goes out to the villages, and goes and it says, talks to the men, the Samaritan men, which was another no-no in that day. You know, guys didn't talk to the Samaritan women, and they definitely didn't approach men. And went and told them that she had found this man who told her everything she ever did. And then it says later on in that verse that many believed through her witness. That's how the, that's how the gospel began to spread in Samaria. And so here, here's Philip and, and here's some apostles in Samaria and they are continuing to share the gospel. People are continuing to come to Christ. This had to be exciting, to be used by God, to be a part of a strategic work of God where he could clearly see him moving as people all over Samaria were coming to Christ. Then in verse 26, we see that it begins with a contrast and what seems like a break from the action there in Samaria. It says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip was called by God's messenger, an angel, to leave the excitement and to travel down a lonely desert road. And he was to take a road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza, as the text says. And the parenthetical note there by Luke helps us to see that this was a desert road. You see a distinct contrast. He was involved in this massive gospel effort there in Samaria, and now he was transitioned by God through his angel to a desert road where he was by himself. Philip had to be thinking, what in the world are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? Clearly here in Samaria is the most strategic place to be for the gospel right now. Why are you taking me from this work? We don't have that in the text, but we know how we think as humans. We know how we operate in our minds and how we come to conclusions about things. 
Philip had to be wondering what's going on. But regardless of what he was thinking, it is his response that models for us the first necessary characteristic of being prepared to be used by the Lord, and that is this. He was walking in obedience. He was walking in obedience. You see, everything we know about Philip, which is actually very little, up to this point, evidences that obedience was a transparent characteristic in his life. And in verse 27, we see it clearly again. It says, the command was given in verse 26 to get up and go. Notice the first words there in 27. He says, so he got up and went. So he got up and went. He didn't argue. He, he didn't complain. He didn't talk back. He didn't come up with a, a list of excuses. God, no, I, I, I'm not leaving this. Clearly, you're confused, Lord. No. He obeyed plain and simply. It says he got up and went. He left the excitement. He left his comrades there. And he left the ministry. And he went. This was the pattern of his life. He was... He was marked by obedience to the truth. Well, how do we know that? Because because he was chosen as one of the seven deacons there in Acts chapter 6. These seven men were chosen first and foremost because of their character. His lifestyle was marked by the qualifications that that we find in in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can turn over there just briefly just to be reminded of those. You have the elders' qualifications there in the first part. And then there in verse 8, it says, Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Verse 12, Deacons must be the husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Philip was above reproach. He was dignified. He was temperate. He was faithful in all things. He ran his household well. Philip was marked by obedience. And it is an obedient heart that translates into a submissive and tender heart toward the things of God. When a person is walking in obedience to the truth, their heart is tender towards the things of God. They view life as God views life. And they're willing to do what God has called them to do. I like to think of Philip's obedience in contrast with like Jonah's disobedience. Right, Jonah was called to do a very similar thing. He was called to get on a boat and to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel to those in Nineveh. And that was what he was supposed to do. Well, the, the, the Ninevites were really bad people. Jonah didn't want to go get his skin cut off because that's what the Assyrians did. He would rather leave and disobey God. And we know what happened. He got on a boat to Tarshish and ended up in the belly of a fish and spent three nights and three days there and had time, as we see in Jonah chapter 2, to repent. Then he was vomited up on to the shore, and he went and did what he was supposed to do. But even at the end of his ministry, and this is an amazing thing. You read the book of Jonah, you never, I mean, we get, we get caught up with Jonah, and we, we think, that guy, what's the matter with that guy? You spend that much time in a fish, you think you're ready to go do what you're supposed to do and quit complaining about life. And on top of that, God brings an entire city to repentance. That's unbelievable. I, it's very believable because it's God's word, but Humanly speaking, we look at that and think, wow. He had that kind of influence. God used him in that kind of way, a massive way. The end of chapter 4, we see him sitting there under this little tree, just begging for God to take his life. (laughs) Because he just didn't have a good perspective on what he was supposed to be doing. That is is the opposite of, of Philip. Philip got up and he went. He was marked by obedience. Obedience indicates that you are growing in sanctification, that you are becoming more like Jesus Christ. And we also know that an obedient person is a useful 
person. If you're still there in 1 Timothy, just turn over to 2 Timothy real quick. We find these helpful words from, from Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It says, Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. There's an occasion as you work through the context there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that, that those who are obedient to Christ, those who live lives of obedience, walking according to the truth of the word of God, are useful to the master, are useful to him for, for tasks that, that accomplish kingdom purposes. Those who are disobedient, in contrast, become useless in many ways. You don't want to be characterized as a dirty vessel or a useless vessel. You want to be one who is walking in obedience so that when the time comes, when the opportunity arises for you to be used by God for kingdom purposes, maybe even in a big way, that you're ready to roll. (laughs) That you're ready to obey what God is calling you to do. Because you're walking in obedience. You love Christ. You love his word. You love his people. And so whatever he calls you to do, there's no task that's uh, that's too awful to go do. You understand what it's for, but if you're walking in disobedience, you don't have that perspective. You view the Christian life at times as something that is very hard and treacherous. You you view people who are different than you and, and harder than you as people who you don't want to communicate with, they don't, they don't deserve my time or the gospel. But when you're living in obedience to the truth, it creates this, this submissive heart, this heart that is ready to be used by God. You know, the first way that you can evaluate if you're prepared to be used by God when an opportunity arises is to evaluate whether or not your life is currently marked by obedience. Are you teachable when the word of God points out your sin to you? Do you strive to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness? Are you faithfully obeying the commands that have been revealed to you in the scriptures? You see, an obedient mind is a prepared mind. It is is vigilant. It is focused on kingdom purposes. It's this eternal perspective that we speak of so often. You want to cultivate an eternal perspective in your life. You have to be a person who's marked by obedience because that's how that works. In contrast, a disobedient mind is an unprepared mind. It is a mind that is distracted by sin and the temptations of the world which, which distract from and block out the voice of God heard in his word. Philip was marked by obedience. But not only was he marked by obedience, which serves as a model for our preparation. Secondly, he was willing to answer the call. He was willing to answer the call. Look at the second part of verse 27. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. His mindset of obedience and his obedient lifestyle led him to being willing to fully engage in the opportunity that the Lord had set before him. This opportunity was certainly a a privileged one because he was going to witness to this Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch was a government official of high authority. This particular eunuch served the queen of Ethiopia whose title was Candace, much like the Uh, The ruler of the Egyptians was was Pharaoh. And he had an incredibly important job as he served as the queen's personal financial manager and overseer. He was a very important person. He he was in charge of all the queen's money. (laughs) This implies that he he was deeply trusted. And it says that this trusted official had come to worship in Jerusalem. However, because eunuchs were marked by emasculation, the Jews 
would not allow them to worship in the temple or become Jewish proselytes. They were not allowed to fully convert to Judaism. This is what is so amazing about this man and his journey, is he came all the way to worship in whatever way he could. He wasn't going to be allowed in the temple. He wasn't going to be allowed to to become a proselyte. But he came anyways. He came to figure out how he could worship. This implies that he was was searching and that the Holy Spirit was, was drawing him to the truth. And as we continue on and see, we see that this official at least had enough pull in his life, at least had enough gusto to obtain a copy of the prophet Isaiah. Look at verse 28. It says, And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was, was reading the prophet Isaiah. He was on his way back to his country and he was, he was reading a particular text. And perhaps prior to this moment that we find him in his chariot, a portion of Isaiah had already caught his attention. Isaiah 56, 3-8 speaks of God's loving kindness to, to the eunuch and to foreigners. Now it's possible that he had returned to this prophet with keen interest and a desirous heart to understand what this God, who this God was and what this God was doing. And certainly as you read this, just the story in itself in these first few verses of Philip being pulled from his position of preaching there in Samaria and then getting there and there was a eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah. Certainly all of this points us to the sovereign providence of God and in the, to the saving of his elect. God was drawing this Ethiopian eunuch to himself. There's no doubt about that. We see that as the text unfolds. And God uses the means of his faithful people to deliver the gospel message to those whom he is drawing to himself. And that is the means by which the truth is communicated. And then he uses that to bring them to repentance and faith in that gospel message. And he saves them. This is how God works. If you're here this morning and you're in Christ, you have been drawn to Christ by the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. And at one point in your life, as God was drawing you, he called you out with an irrevocable call, with a, with, a, with a summons, a summons from the king of the universe. And in that moment, you understood the truths of the gospel. And you turned in repentance and faith to Christ. That happened. It may have happened in a moment that, that was not this massive thing for you. Maybe you were saved at a young age. Maybe you were living a life of sin and debauchery and God saved you from that. And it was this immediate transition in your heart and your mind to love the things of God. But if you are here in Christ this morning, you have been drawn to God. You've been drawn to Christ by the Father through the work of the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, and you have been saved. That was what was happening to this Ethiopian eunuch. Notice how the story continues. It says the spirit commanded Philip to join the chariot there in verse 29. Go up and join this chariot. Verse 30 says Philip ran to join the eunuch. That would have been fun to picture. Now, you know how fast this guy was going, this eunuch. Maybe he was just going at a nice speed. Maybe he was going fast. But either way, this guy is going out on this lonely desert road and he looks right. And here's this guy, you know, they wore dress type things. And he's in this thing, probably just kind of girded up his little skirt thing, and he was moving, and it's a sight to behold. The eunuch had to be wondering, who's this guy? What's he trying to prove? Trying to run so fast. Nonetheless, Philip did what he was called to do. He ran and joined the eunuch. He, He didn't think about it. He didn't try and come up with a justifiable excuse to avoid it. You know, many times it's those excuses that we can come up with that immediately suppress our supposed willingness. You know, we get up in the morning, we think about our day, we think about the opportunities we may have to encounter unbelievers, and, and we, you know, we pump ourselves up, we're in the Word, we're, Lord, ready to go, ready to go. And then, you know, we get that first possible opportunity, and we can think of every excuse 
ah, mm, not this one. I don't want to go do this one. Excuses like, you know, they're not going to listen. They, they don't appear to be savable. I mean, that guy, he looks like he just wandered off, you know, wandered out of the depths of Hades. That guy is not going to be saved. I don't have the time right now. Lord, I, I got to get to class. I got like 15 minutes. And, and so I'm not, I don't think this is the right time. I came across a, a short account by R.C. Sproul Jr. that was very convicting in consideration of our excuse making. He said this, he said, I have a friend who was sent to plant a church in a hostile city in a neighborhood dominated by sexual perversion. While making the rounds, introducing himself to pastors already serving in the city, one pastor warned him that so many others had sought to minister to that demographic, but the pastor reasoned they just weren't reachable. My friend, though he had served in the special forces and could well be Chuck Norris's younger brother, broke down in tears. He explained to the pastor, if the gospel has no power to save them, it has no power to save me. We need to remember that. That as dead and as lost as people are in this world, and they are dead and they are lost. We were once dead in the same way and lost to the same extent. And God saved us. Our willingness to speak is an opportunity directly connected to our belief in the transforming power of the gospel. Do you believe that the gospel really transforms lives? Have you really been affected by the power of the gospel in your life? Because if you have, you believe it. You see who you were and you see who you are. And you believe it. And as you believe that, the more you believe that and understand that, it connects us then to speak in the opportunities that we are given. Do I believe that the, power, the gospel is powerful enough to break through any excuse any barrier to, to pierce a heart and save someone. Philip did. Look at verse 30. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are, are reading? When he got up to the chariot, he heard, heard the eunuch reading this, this prophet Isaiah out loud, which was a custom of the day. And so he asked him, he asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? Friends, we must be willing to engage those whom we encounter with specific pointed questions. Listen, we're reading this text together. We see that Philip was served up a softball here. Right? You're not riding on the bus. Don't ride on the bus. Get a car. But you're not riding on the bus, right, and have that person come up and you sit down next to them and they're reading the prophet Isaiah. I mean, I just don't think that's happening very often. This guy was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip was served up a softball. But listen, he still had to swing the bat. And a softball that comes through the middle of the plate is a strike. You let too many of those go and you strike out. You have to swing the bat. This is the opportunity we all hope for. I love, I love baseball and I love the analogy, I think, that this paints here in thinking about the game of baseball. Right? When you're up to bat, you have all kinds of different pitches. Right? If you have a good pitcher on the other end, he is going to try and get you to guess at what he is throwing and he is going to do whatever he can to get you to swing the bat so that you strike out. And so he's going to throw you fastballs, he's going to throw you curveballs, he's going to throw you sliders, he's going to throw you change-ups. Whatever, whatever's in his repertory, he's going to bring those types of pitches, and they're all going to be different. And the question is, as the batter is, are you going to stay in the box and swing the bat? Or you look at what the pitcher's throwing, maybe it's before the game, and you see what he's throwing, and you think, no, I'm never getting in the box, I'm not going to be able to hit this guy. I think that's what we do so often in our evangelistic opportunities. And we see, oh, they've just got too many... Excuses. I, I can't even get in there. I can't, I can't get in this game. Or are you willing to step into the box because you are on a team that is counting on you? We'll call it Team Kingdom, right? You're on a Team Kingdom. And you have to swing the bat at the opportunities you're given so that at some point that ball is going to get out there and you're going to hit a single, a double, triple, maybe even a home run. But if you're standing outside the box, you're not swinging you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. 
Even though this was a softball opportunity, Philip had to swing the bat, and he does. Notice the open door gets wider for Philip in verse 31. He says, and he said to him, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. (laughs) So this official, this this official of Ethiopia invites Philip to come sit with him and explain this passage to him. Now, we must remember that when we get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, it is because God sets up that appointment and has brought that person to that point for his purpose. We just have to be willing in those moments to proclaim the message. That's our job. I want, to be, I want to say one more thing by way of application here concerning cultivating a, a willing spirit, and then we'll move on. But when you think about cultivating a willing heart to do this, to be like Philip, to stay in the batter's box, so to speak, you have to think of a devoted prayer life. A devoted prayer life cultivates a willing heart for evangelism. Listen to these very pointed and applicable words from this author. He says, the best advice I can give you about sharing your faith, number one, pray for the chance to share your faith. Number two, pray to be ready to share your faith. Number three, pray for discretion in sharing your faith. Number four, pray for words to share your faith. Number five, pray for patience to listen as you share your faith. Number six, pray for God to prepare your friend's heart and mind as you share your faith. Number seven, pray to thank God for the opportunity to glorify his name. Prayer is absolutely essential when you think about being prepared to evangelize a lost world. The greater your prayer life on behalf of the lost, the greater willingness you will have when the opportunity presents itself to share the gospel with them. Not only was Philip characterized by obedience and willingness, but he also models that in order to be properly prepared, to be used by God. Number three, he was well-versed in the truth. He was well-versed in the truth. As we continue on this amazing account, we see that the passage the eunuch was open to and reading aloud was Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. We see that in verse 32. It says, he was led as sheep to slaughter and was as a lamb before its shears is silent. He So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For whose life is removed from the earth? He was reading prophecy concerning the fact that Jesus became the ultimate sacrificial lamb and that Jesus was completely submissive to his oppressors, completely fulfilling this prophecy. He was reading that Jesus was the substitute for his people. The problem was he didn't understand any of those things. The book of Isaiah seems to be all the context this eunuch had. It's very important to point out here that this text demonstrates the divine power of the word of God to penetrate the soul and to bring conviction. You know 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped in every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. This was the divine word of God that the prophet was reading. He had been captivated by these divine words that were there in his lap, but, but this is where we see the truth of Romans 10 come into play. He needed someone to come up and explain the truth. Romans 10 tells us that how can they hear without a preacher? The eunuch needed a preacher. He needed the truth of the new covenant to explain the old covenant, which he was reading. He needed to know and understand Jesus, who was the one who fulfilled everything he was reading. Verse 34 continues on telling us how the spirit was was continuing to draw this eunuch to the truth. It says, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of, Of himself or of someone else? This man had to know that this text was referencing, who this text was referencing. He had to have some kind of frame of reference. He knew that this was crucial to understand. So so he says to Philip, help me understand this. 
I, I need to know the truth. So the text clearly states in verse 35 that Philip took Isaiah 53, 7-8, and he exposited it. He, he preached it. He expounded upon the focal point of this text, who was Jesus Christ. But notice what it says. It says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. This text was just the beginning. Philip then proceeded to take this official on a journey through the rest of Revelation that Philip had been given, as, and he painted a portrait of the God-man who was Jesus Christ. Well, what did this look like? It looked like the gospel. He explained to him that, that this lamb that Isaiah 53 speaks about that was the lamb of God declared by John, and, and he then connects Jesus to the Old Testament sacrificial system, which no doubt the eunuch was familiar with. Remember, he had just worshipped in Jerusalem. He had just watched thousands upon thousands of lambs slain on behalf of the people. There's no doubt in his mind he understood those things. Philip had to explain the, the prophecy concerning Christ's submissiveness. He explained how Christ in humiliation suffered as the substitute for the sins of his people. He explained that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and that no man comes to the Father but through me. He preached that Jesus came as the prophesied Messiah and that he died, rose again, and ascended and is coming back for his people. And he explained as well, as we will see in a moment, the importance of the symbol of baptism in this process. Let me stop here for a minute and just point out a couple things by way of application. You see, Philip was able to do this, to, to open up his mouth and preach Christ. Why? Because he was well-versed in the truth. He was well-versed in the truth. He knew the truth. He studied the truth. He was able to take a text, two verses that seemed disconnected from everything else, and he was able to take that text and build the context all around it and take this unit to the point where he understood exactly what this text was talking about, who exactly this text was talking about. Friends, if, if we are going to be prepared to be used by God, we have to know the truth. And we have to be able to explain the truth found in the scriptures. You must know your Bibles in such a way that you can take, take any text and find your way to Christ. I'm not saying that Christ can be found in every text of the scriptures, because he can't. But that because he is the central theme of revelation, any text can be used to get to him. And that's what Philip did here. He took this text, these two verses, and he took this unit to Christ. These texts concerning Christ have to be second nature to the one who is prepared to be used by God. You need to have key texts memorized on the tip of your tongue concerning the absolute necessity of Christ and the gospel. Texts like Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Texts like Romans 5.8, um, no, it's not on the tip of my tongue. That's what happens. For God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. <coughs> Texts like Colossians 1 and John 1 and Hebrews 1, all that point to the deity of Jesus Christ. You need to know that. In fact, it's in inexcusable if you don't. It's inexcusable that you don't as Christians, but more than that, friends, you have been granted a massive stewardship by God placing you in this church. You have, many of you have just come out of a youth ministry where week by week, Wednesday night, Sunday night, you were preached the Bible. You have learned, you have memorized scriptures. You have sat in big church week after week and you have heard the Bible preached. You will come to roots now and you will hear the Bible preached. These truths will be rehearsed time and time again. You have been granted a massive stewardship. You don't live under a rock. 
There is no excuse. These are things you must know. You need to be able to communicate the essentials of the gospel. You need to know the essentials of evangelism. And we know these, and Mark Dever clarifies these essentials in his book, The Deliberate Church, which you will find very similar to (coughs) grace evangelism because the essentials of the gospel are the same. He says, so what are the essentials of evangelism? We can sum them up in four words. God, man, Christ, and response. God is our holy creator and righteous judge. He created us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But mankind has rebelled against God by sinning against his holy character and law. We've all participated in this sinful rebellion, both in Adam as a representative head and in our own individual actions. As a result, we have alienated ourselves from God and have exposed ourselves to his righteous wrath, which will banish us eternally to hell if we are not forgiven. But God sent Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to die the death that we deserve for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that God might both punish our sin in Christ and forgive it in us. The only saving response to this good news is repentance and belief. We must repent from our sins, turn from them and turn to God and believe in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation to God. That's the gospel. You know that so well. Do you believe it? Has it just gone in one ear and out the other all these years? Do you truly know this? Because if you know this and you believe this and you are compelled by this to be able to communicate it to others. As we come to the end of this account, we see a miracle happen. Philip's explanation was was clear and the Holy Spirit opened the eunuch's eyes to the truth and, and he was converted. This is why baptism must have been in Philip's explanation because notice the immediate excitement by the eunuch to identify with Christ publicly. Verse 36, and they went along and came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And so he goes down Verse 38 teaches us that it is God's ordained means of public declaration concerning one's inward transformation. Baptism is not optional for the believer. It is commanded. It's commanded in the Great Commission. It's commanded in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10. In fact, it is the first step of obedience for a believer to not be baptized. If you are a genuine believer, is to be walking in disobedience. Baptism is an essential means to growing in your Christian life. The New Testament makes a big deal out of baptism. And we are too as well. Listen, if you have not been baptized as a believer, you need to be. You need to be. If you're sitting here in Christ and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. You are commanded to in the scriptures. Also notice the method of baptism that Luke spells out and makes clear. It says both of them went down in the water. He's talking about immersion. Baptized by immersion. Verse 39, then immediately as they came out of the water, at the moment, at that moment, Philip had finished his God-ordained task and the Spirit snatched Philip away as a powerful confirmation that Philip had been specifically placed by God there to proclaim the gospel. What's it say? It says, as a result, the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way and took the gospel to to Ethiopia. On Wednesday, it was the woman at the well who led to the salvation of many Samaritans. Today, it was the eunuch which led to the spread of the gospel in Africa. Specifically, Ethiopia, as church history tells us. God is busy building his kingdom. And he is wanting to use clean vessels who are his ambassadors to continue this. To continue this in your small spheres of influence, to continue this in larger spheres, to continue this all over the world. 
As we draw things to a conclusion this morning, let me ask you this question. Are you prepared? Are you walking in obedience daily, being a faithful steward of the responsibilities that God has set before you, diligently obeying the word of God? Are you willing at any moment to pick up and minister on behalf of the king, on behalf of your king? Is your heart sensitive? Is it it submissive to the truth? Is your perspective eternal enough that this is a matter of first importance in your life? Are Are you confident in your ability to handle the scriptures? Are you continuing to grow in your knowledge of God and his ways? Could you right now, if you were put to the test, lead someone to Christ from the scriptures? Could you sit down with a Bible with someone like the Ethiopian eunuch who says, explain this to me, and take them to Christ? If not, you need to be able to. Are you taking advantage of the different avenues you have to become well-versed in this truth? Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Wednesday nights, partners, the evangelism class being personally accountable to someone for for personal ongoing study of God's word. As Spurgeon alluded to, can you take any scripture and through that make a beeline to the cross? The Holy Spirit has chosen to work to save all those whom the Father intends to save by using us to preach the gospel to Are you prepared? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Encourage our hearts with this truth. Challenge our hearts with this truth. God, help us to leave here uncomfortable. Not in a way that makes us shy away, but but uncomfortable with our current status. Lord, light a fire in our hearts to communicate the truth of the gospel to those who so desperately need it. Provide us this week with opportunities to share Christ. Help us combat in our souls any excuses that come up. Father, we ask you to use us to continue to build your kingdom. We know we don't deserve it. We know we're only clean vessels because of Christ's work on our behalf. Compel us by that message. Compel us by the reality that we are your ambassadors and that you have given your life for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for our time together. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Please stand as we close in song.